Hello and welcome to a special edition of Eurovangelists. I'm Jeremy Bent. I'm Oscar Montoya. I'm Dimitri Pompey. Our main episode this week is about national finals, and you can find that in your feeds. But we also thought it was important to create a space to discuss Israel's involvement in Eurovision 2024. We've been getting a lot of feedback from you all about how much you're enjoying the show, and we really appreciate that. We've put a lot of time into making the show, and we hoped it would find its audience with existing Eurovision fans and Eurovision newbies. But we have heard from some of you about your concerns over a group of Eurovision competitors who say they'll boycott the competition if they win over Israel's involvement in the ESC this year. And so we wanted to take an episode separate from our other episodes because it would be strange to transition from this conversation into what artist has a new song to listen to this week and talk about Israel's place in Eurovision 2024 and why they haven't been banned from the competition already and why it might be a mistake to ban them at all. That's right, Jeremy. You know, we at Eurovangelists pride ourselves with letting y'all know all the news, all the information about Eurovision. And this is pretty big information that's gone down. So I think it's our responsibility to talk about this. Yeah, it's got to be the story of the year. And this, this is where we are. Yeah. And if you listened to our recap of 2023, it was kind of a similar situation last year where the big story sort of overhanging the competition as it did in 2022 as well is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That's right. It's hard to ignore that, uh, the effect it had on Russia's participation in the competition, on the songs that came out of a lot of Slavic nations that have a long history of dealing with Russian aggression, like Ukraine, Czechia, and Croatia especially. And these songs didn't directly reference the war as that is against the rules of Eurovision, but they made their voices heard. And we want to make sure that you have all the information about Eurovision this year and Israel's involvement in it. That's right. If we could just, let's get this one out of the way right away. Obviously, there can be no peace in the Middle East until the rights of everyone who lives in Israel, Palestine, Gaza, regardless of where they're from, regardless of their religion, regardless of who they are, until those rights are affirmed by the entire international community, they're defended and they're recognized, no solution that doesn't guarantee those rights will do. Like, that is absolutely just a fact. No matter where you're from, no matter who you are, if you're living in that area, you deserve to live in peace, freedom, and liberty. Absolutely. The amount of human life that is being lost in Gaza right now is unconscionable and it has to stop. The hostages need to be released and a ceasefire must be called immediately. What's frustrating to all of us, to the entire global community, is that both the government of Benjamin Netanyahu and Hamas have proven incapable of delivering the peace that the civilians in that area need to live their lives, to live in freedom. Right. Both of them have demonstrated they're willing to use violence against civilians to advance their agenda. The Israeli and Palestinian people are truly disturbed by their representation. And the sooner that Hamas and Netanyahu are replaced with architects of like people who actually want true peace in the area, the better. Yeah, we're in a situation where the governments of both Palestine and Israel are completely at odds, not only with each other, but also with, I think, the will of the Israeli people and the Palestinian people. Absolutely. Literally today, there were people in Israel calling for Netanyahu to resign so that they can have a new government there. Before October 7th, the number one thing Israeli people were protesting against was, was, was Netanyahu. They wanted him out of office for trying to take over the judiciary. This is not the leadership that the people want. Yeah, I don't think there's really any room for disagreement on a peaceful ceasefire and trying to rebuild both of those countries' governments with people who are willing to listen is the only path forward for those countries. That is, of course, outside the scope of the Eurovision Song Contest. They're not capable of doing that. But I also understand where 
perhaps new fans and old fans are coming from when they're seeing what Israel is doing to the Palestinians and saying, how could they possibly still be involved in this competition? Right. Well, I do think the the rhetoric from for a lot of people, Eurovision fans and Eurovision newbies alike, is saying the math ain't math, right? Yeah. How is it that Israel can get away with still being in the song competition after doing all these things to Palestine, where we have precedent where... Uh, for example, in Russia, that something was happening with Russia and Ukraine and Czechia that Russia was sort of excommunicated from the Eurovision Song Contest. Why is that not happening to Israel? Which is a, I think, a an very extremely good, valid question. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. This is where this the, the answer to that question requires a lot of knowledge of how Eurovision set up and requires a little nuance because the EBU put the European Broadcasting Union, the group that runs Eurovision, puts out a, a press release after getting all these questions about why Israel is still involved. And they say something to the effect of Eurovision is a competition between national broadcasters. It's not a competition between countries. And thus far, Khan, the Israeli national broadcaster, has not violated any of the rules of Eurovision, which means that they're still in. Now, to a lot of people, that sounds like a bullshit statement. It's, it sounds like a dodge. It sounds like a dodge. Let's come back to Khan in just a second. I want to talk about what Oscar just said with Russia being banned from the competition. So Russia was still in Eurovision as of 2021. Uh, and in 2021, uh, Manisha, a Russian artist, uh, had a song called Russian Woman that was very anti-Putin, about as explicit as you can get in Eurovision without violating the rule of no political songs. She received death threats for that song. But the reason that she was able to compete with that song is that the EBU's requirement is that the public broadcaster of any competitor in Eurovision has a free independent press and the government is not allowed to influence the choices that they make. And you have to believe that if Putin did have influence, there's no way that song would have been allowed in the competition. And there's precedent to believe that because that's what got Belarus kicked out. Exactly. There was a major attempted uprising and, you know, democratic protests against the dictator in Belarus. We're talking about Alexander Lukashenko, uh, known for his close ties to Vladimir Putin. Belarus sends a song after they squash the dissent, basically saying we squash that dissent. We're the best ever. And anyone who tries to rise up against our authoritarian government can basically kick rocks. The EBU saw that. It's like, you cannot send this song. You, this is clearly against the rules. It's clearly a political song. It's mocking freedom. It's mocking democracy. This song is not allowed. So Belarus is like, hey, OK, we'll send a new song. And they just sent another version of that same horrible song and they got kicked out. So the EBU rightfully, yeah, kicked them out of the competition. And as Russia invaded Ukraine, the EBU is like, your press is no longer free. Like your press is no longer independent. This is becoming a, a you know, a megaphone for Putin. So again, Russia was also banned from the competition for that specific reason. Yeah, and you can see it in their broadcaster. There was a person on the Russian, you know, Channel One broadcaster, their supposedly public broadcaster, who said we should not be invading Ukraine. That person got arrested. So you could see that the Russian broadcaster changed it too, and it wasn't independent anymore. And that's what got them out. Right. So coming back to what we were talking about a minute ago, Khan, this is the Israel Public Broadcasting Corporation. Khan has both television and radio. And so in the US, the equivalent would be PBS programming and NPR programming. 
Yes, every nation has their own public broadcaster, their version of PBS or NPR. And those are the competitors who are the Eurovision delegation. They set it up. They allocate the funds. They prepare the artists. They pay for all the tickets. It's your public broadcaster, not your nation. It's not the equivalent of the State Department sending a competitor. It's the equivalent of PBS sending a competitor. I think that's the important thing to stress, Dimitri. It's the fact that this is independent from the nation's government. Yeah. Right. The government has nothing to do with the actual Eurovision Song Contest. It's broadcasting systems that take place, which inherently are built to have independent and uh, free speech. It's exactly the same as PBS NewsHour being allowed to report on whatever they want about the actions of the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's what Khan does as the Israeli broadcaster who is independent from the government and independent from any financial interest. They report on the stories that are relevant to the day and they report in an independent fashion. And sometimes, like right now, the Israeli government, especially the Likud party, they don't like Khan. They don't like the fact that Khan has a free voice. They don't like the, the fact that Khan reports stories that make the government look bad. They got in trouble with the Netanyahu government when they reported that Benjamin Netanyahu was trying to take over the judiciary. He didn't like that. We will link to these articles in the show notes for this episode, but multiple organizations, including the New York Times, broke this story before the conflict with Palestine even happened. This was 2018. There was, there was a 2018 version, but... Well, sure. Yeah, this happened in 2018. And then again, in 2023, Netanyahu's government has been trying to remove funding to Khan, cut their influence, because they're the only media in Israel that is not owned by a corporation or almost outright by Netanyahu himself. Yeah, like beholden to him or his cronies. Exactly. This was relevant in 2018 when Israel won. Because before Eurovision, Benjamin Netanyahu was running the government again, and he actively, he, had, he, he said many times, we are going to shut down the public broadcaster. It makes my government look bad, and I'm going to shut them down. That was his number one priority that year, until Netta won Eurovision for Israel, because that made Khan look good, and everyone's like, don't touch our Khan, because Khan is bringing Eurovision, we're going to host next year. If you threaten Khan, the EBU is going to kick us out and we won't get to host. And not to mention, is the Israeli people love Eurovision. It's one of the most popular events there. Absolutely. It's a beloved institution. So the support for Khan immediately goes up. And Benjamin Netanyahu is like, OK, fine, we can't touch it. Leave it alone. It's also worth mentioning that the public broadcaster of a country not only has to have arts programming, which is obviously what Eurovision falls under, but also has to have an independent news division of free press. Absolutely. The EBU does the due diligence to be like, does the public broadcaster of a country like PBS does have arts programming, have news programming to the point where like there is an option for the citizens of that country to have media that is not just controlled by the state? Absolutely. And you can see it again because there's an article from March 23. I believe it's in the Times as well. Jeremy. This is the Times. Yeah. This is before the Hamas attack on October 7th. And Netanyahu's at it again. He's trying to destroy Khan because Khan is suing him for all sorts of media infringement violations, and he doesn't like that. He and his government have gone out of their way to say, we should not have a public broadcaster that we cannot control. So once again, Khan is in the firing line. And once again, because Noah did so well at Eurovision, she got third place. There's a groundswell of support again. And once again, Netanyahu finds himself unable to destroy Khan. So Shlomo Karhai, who is the communications minister of Israel in Netanyahu's government, in an interview last year, literally 
these are his exact words, said, there is no place in this day and age for a public broadcaster when there is a wide range of channels. I believe there's four major channels. And he's saying that's enough where we don't need Khan. And he said, uh, the goal of public broadcasting is to, quote, create a range of voices in the Israeli media. And it's a goal that has failed, according to Karhai. And he says, I see the media leaning too far to the left, which is a lot to take from the Netanyahu mm -hmm. government. That's an unacceptable viewpoint. I don't care how many channels there are. There should always be a free, strong, independent public broadcaster. It's mm -hmm. unacceptable to say there shouldn't be one. He also makes an insane allegation that is there is no public broadcaster in the U.S., which is we have three off the top of my head pbs npr and the corporation for public broadcasting uh, right and it's like pbs kids programming is some of the most popular programming in america is like insane to suggest that we don't need public and npr it's like many of the most popular podcasts and radio shows in america are npr shows it's bizarre to suggest that we don't have public broadcasting and thank god that we do because look i studied political science for a while and there is a direct connection between a strong democracy, just as this article says, and a strong, independent public broadcaster. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, your chances of your democracy surviving, they get a little dicey. Yeah, shutting down a public broadcaster like Khan would be almost an immediate path, I think, to the state controlling all news and communications in a country. Right. It honestly feels weird to say one of the last stands of free and independent media in Israel is the Eurovision Song Contest, but that's absolutely true because Khan is so beloved, because Eurovision is so beloved. When Khan has Eurovision on its side, when Khan can send an entry to Eurovision, it buys Khan another day where the Likud party and Benjamin Netanyahu can't take that away from people. It's amazing to think but then again, that is what Eurovision is about. Eurovision is about advancing democracy. And the fact that it is so clearly protecting an independent voice right now is something to consider when we talk about whether Israel should be in this contest or not. Right. So I guess the short answer of all of this that we're talking about and the discord of having Israel in the Eurovision Song Contest is that the Eurovision Song Contest is not a political or governmental song contest. The government is just has nothing to do with it. And that's the point of the Eurovision Song Contest. It is a goodwill ambassadorship of all nations, ideally back to the decree that Dimitri was saying in the very pilot episode of countries coming together and sort of celebrating each other. Absolutely. I, for one, am very curious about the song that Israel will submit into this year's Eurovision. You know, I'm very curious about, like, allowing Israel in the contest and be like, okay, well, all eyes are on you, babe. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's like, here's your stage. Yeah. I think there's some interesting precedent. Again, I don't know what the songs are. I have no idea. We haven't been told anything. But, yeah. like, there's definitely been some precedent like you said with Russian woman, for a artist who gets to perform at Eurovision using that platform to push back against their government. Exactly. This is a real example from uh, 1968. There was a singer who wanted to sing their entry in the Catalan language, but the dictator Franco saw that Catalan was a threat to his iron grip on power, and that, that singer was banned. And that's why Masael went to Eurovision, because she wasn't going to sing in Catalan. There's so many instances in which an artist will use their Eurovision platform to rail against the government of the country they're in. And mm -hmm. I think 
that the if this is the way the the Israeli competitor wants to go, that should be welcomed. It's hard to imagine banning Israel from the competition when I am sure there are many Israeli artists who do not stand with Netanyahu and the government on what is happening there right now. Absolutely. I know some people might think that Israel's involvement with the competition is a way to sort of like wash their hands of the conflict and be like, hey, we're just like you. We're in Eurovision as well. But to pretend that the rest of Europe doesn't know what's happening in Gaza mm-hmm. is so insane to me. I'm sure that their song, whatever song they enter is absolutely going to have something to do with what is happening there right now. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that when you consider the fact that that artist, whoever they may be, may not support what's going on with the Israeli attacks on on Gaza, when you consider the fact that Khan, the national broadcaster, has been, according to Netanyahu, an enemy of the state, and they're the one voice of democracy, a free independent voice that our institutions use to get correct and accurate Israeli news. If you look at reports from, say, The Guardian or The New York Times of where they're getting their information of like what's happening on the ground in Israel, a lot of times that information is coming directly from Khan. And so if Khan gets shut down, we lose a pretty valuable lifeline as to what is actually happening over there. And we'll have to rely on influenced information. Yes. Say that privately owned news channels, which may not be so interested in reporting accurate information. Absolutely. A lot of these private newscasters in Israel have connections to all sorts of your big oil groups, and you're not going to get accurate reporting because there's a financial interest to not give that reporting. Khan doesn't do that. Also, assuming this podcast has a mostly American listenership, you should know that a lot of this kind of reflects Donald Trump's attitude towards PBS. During his presidency, there was a lot of noise made about defunding public broadcasting in the U.S., I'm sure for fairly similar reasons. It's just hard to imagine doing away with independent press in the U.S., and that not having a very, very negative impact on politics in our country. So that's where we are now. We're talking about this right now. It's January 21st, 2024. I think that's important because it's a fluid situation. Let's say a nightmare scenario happens and the Netanyahu government gets influence over Khan and they send an artist to Eurovision or they promote a song that's as bad as the Belarusian song. Yeah, that would cause the EBU to ban them from the competition. Absolutely. Because then we'd be in a situation where they no longer have an independent press, an independent broadcaster in their country. And by the EBU's own rules, that would be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that won't happen. I, I also hope that's not the case. And as of right now, that's not the case. So while that's happening, I do agree that Israel should be in the Eurovision Song Contest. And I think it's actually a good thing that uh, Israel is in the Eurovision Song Contest. That being said, I will say, and I'm make, making this very clear, that Israel does have a certain responsibility to kind of show up this upcoming year. And so, they're sort of like, they got to reflect on what's going on over there. They can't pretend that all the eyes in not just Europe, but in the whole world are not paying attention to Gaza right now. Because I think we all are. Exactly. This is Khan's opportunity to honestly make a great case for remaining independent. Yes. Well said. And that means sending an artist that is not going to paper over the tragedy and atrocity that's happening in that land right now. I mean, it's not exactly a one to one, but this might be their chance to send their version of Jamala's 1944, Mm. a very anti-war message that 
was beautifully constructed. And won in 2016. Yeah, Jamala won for Ukraine in 2016 with her song 1944, a song that was accused of being too political by Russia for being about the crimes of Stalin against Crimea during World War II, but also coming just two years after Russia's annexation of the Crimean Peninsula, formerly a part of Ukraine, but currently still under Russian occupation. This is their chance to truly use Eurovision for what it's supposed to be, and I hope they take it. Yeah, I think we all hope that. And listen, I know that there's a lot of questions that have not, have not been answered, and we encourage any and all people that are still on the fence, that are not totally sure, that still have questions, to reach out to us on social media and open that discourse. Let us know how you feel about this. Yeah, and honestly, if you've listened to this discussion and you still think Israel should be banned from the competition based on what's happening in Gaza, we understand that point of view. Mm. But our current stance is that that may do more damage within Israel and give more power to Netanyahu than the alternative. And that is the exact opposite of what we want. For Khan's sake, as things stand right now, they need this competition to be that independent public broadcasting voice that Israel needs. A voice in the press that can be critical of Netanyahu and not fear reprisal without a public outcry or have a story squashed to protect a corporate interest or by government interference directly. So if you've taken the time to listen to this, I hope maybe you got a clearer picture uh, of what's going on over there. I also hope that you know that we're not brushing this off as something trivial. We've been thinking about this too. We've known we were going to have to talk about Israel in this competition. We were just sort of planning to do it in a later episode, but we've got a lot of feedback about it. And so we wanted to address it as soon as possible and answer questions like, first off, why are we still making this podcast? And the answer is, this is a Eurovision podcast, and this is the story of Eurovision this year. Much like why this whole contest exists, we are making this show because we believe in the mission of Eurovision. We believe it is that voice for peace, freedom, democracy that will actually make the world a better place. That's why we're making the show, and that's why we're going to keep making the show, honestly. And if that sounds pie in the sky to you, well, maybe, but there's also a very real way that Israel being in the Eurovision Song Contest can protect their independent press. And that is extremely valuable right now. And if you're looking for a way to help, we urge you to call your congressperson and voice your support for a ceasefire. A stable peace in Gaza will be hard to achieve, but it's impossible while the violence continues. So please call and add your voice to those calling for a ceasefire. Mm -hmm.